Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we're talking survive unemployment and ignite your future with Chris Hutchins from Grove and an Ask Shauna question all about buying your first home. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. So today we've actually got two Ask Shauna questions that I thought were so good. They're both totally related to buying your first home. And I know like this time of year, buying your first home tends to be a goal that a lot of people are thinking about. You know, the summer is always a good time for usually for the house buying market. And so I think people start thinking about like, maybe this is possible or maybe this is this year. So I had a great question from Mike and Becca, and they ask, Hi, Shauna. My fiance and I are big fans of the podcast. We recently just got engaged and are saving up for both a wedding and a future home. We're wondering how much of our overall savings should go towards a down payment for our future home. 
We're trying to budget ourselves to reach that savings goal. Thanks for all the help. Well, Mike and Becca, those are awesome goals and two admittedly expensive goals. So I think what you should be thinking about is, you know, the the real answer is save as much as you possibly can. You know, when you're buying your first home, you got a lot of different factors that are going to be a drain on your bank account. You know, you have the down payment, uh, closing costs, moving costs, expenses when you move in, there's taxes you have to pay, you know, if you need repairs, all of those things. And then to top it all off, kind of the cherry on top is that utilities typically can be more expensive once you buy your first home. And so, you know, you're dealing with a lot of factors that cost a lot of money. The guideline really is 20% of the purchase price for your down payment. So, you know, you're really going to want to start to internet shop right now or, you know, in the near future just to see what prices are in your area. So you can kind of have a goalpost measurement for how much you're trying to save. Now, of course, there are a lot of loans out there where you don't need to put 20% down. Somewhere you only need to put down 3% of the purchase price. But I think the moral of the story is that, you know, you're in this mode now before you get married and, you know, thinking about buying your home where you should really just be thinking about saving. How much money can we possibly save? And the way to do that is just to really have good management over your expenses, know where you're spending your cash. And also, are there any creative ways where maybe you can you know, have the same thing that you already like to do, but maybe you do it for a little less. Like, you know, maybe you give up cable, save a hundred bucks a month and go with some, you know, service like Hulu or YouTube TV or something like that. That's just a real simplistic example. But, you know, the key is to save as much as you can and then put that savings in a conservative account, especially if you want to buy in the next few years. So I'm talking about like a high yield savings account, maybe a CD, something that's very, very liquid so you can get to that cash when you need to get to that cash. Another little trick uh, that, you know, isn't talked about a lot, you can actually each use up to $10,000 from your IRA or Roth if you have one as a down payment for the first time home buyer. So Uh, This is kind of a, it's not really a trick. It's just, you know, we don't talk about it a lot. But to use money in your your IRA to buy a house, you have to be what's considered a first-time home buyer. And this is if you haven't owned a home or had a financial interest in one at any point during the last two years. So even if you owned a house at the same point in, in the past, at some point, let's say maybe five years ago, you actually do meet, again, the first-time homebuyer requirement because it's the last two years. See how that works? So this doesn't matter for you, but for other people listening, just for you, just so you know. So you can actually withdraw up to $10,000 from your traditional IRA to help cover the costs of buying your home. Your spouse can do it as well, which is awesome. And the beauty of this is that you will avoid the 10% penalty because you're under 59 and a half. But you will still need to add, you know, whatever amount of money up to that $10,000 that you take out to your taxable income. So you still have to pay tax on it, but it can be a big helper, um, especially maybe if you have a 401k sitting around from an old job that you haven't rolled over into an IRA, you know, an extra ten dollars or $20,000 usually for most people helps at least give their uh, home buying savings account a real boost. 
So then we got another question from Caitlin, and Caitlin said, Hi, Shauna, love the podcast. I started listening when my husband and I decided to get serious about our financial planning in our first few months of marriage. I'm wondering if you have tips on investing for a down payment. We are aiming to buy a home in the next five to 10 years, so it would be a relatively short-term investment. We have about 50000 saved and aim to put another 1000 a month towards our down payment fund. We live in uh, and hope to buy a home in a high housing, housing price market, so we estimate we'll need around 150000 to 200000 as a down payment. Ouch. <laughs> Any tips on how to make savings grow faster given our short period of time and low risk constraints? And Caitlin, just like Mike and Becca, you're thinking the exact same way on this. You know, low risk is key because you don't want to save all this money for your down payment and then suddenly it's in some risky investment and you wake up tomorrow and that money is gone. Like that That's a heartbreaker, right? So low risk is key. You know, places like a high yield savings account that's earning 1% plus is a good place because that's liquid cash. You know, you could also think about using maybe some short-term CDs. Maybe they're like three or four years. I wouldn't go a whole lot longer than that, depending on your on your time window. Maybe a five-year if you're thinking, you know, you might be in the five-year plus. But, uh, you know, right now they have interest rates around 2.3% plus. So it's almost double the high-yield savings account. It's nothing to get super excited about. But it is an option. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to some of the best CD rates right now that was put out by NerdWallet if you want to check that out. And, you know, since you're five to 10 years out, you could consider a Roth if you meet the income restrictions. I don't know where you fall on income. But if you do, you can take your contribution that you make to a Roth out penalty free at any time, which is good. And you can take out growth for home time, first home time buyer, just like you can with the traditional IRA, up to that $10,000 each to help with down payment. So if you're a first time home buyer, you can withdraw up to that $10,000 in earnings from your Roth IRA without the 10% early withdrawal penalty, even if you're under 59 and a half. You'll avoid the tax bill on that withdrawal if you had a Roth for at least five years. So five years is kind of the key. If you don't meet the five-year test, You'll owe taxes on that $10,000, but not the 10% penalty. So if you meet the income restrictions to start a Roth, it might be a good idea. You know, you you might be able to get a little bit of gain on your money by being in low risk investments in your Roth. But I think really, you know, in, in your situation, it might be about thinking about like a multi-bucket approach. So maybe some of your money's in high yield savings, maybe some of your money's in a CD, you know, maybe some of your money's in an IRA or a Roth, you know, that you're going to pull out for that first time home buyer. But, you know, not putting all your eggs in one basket, but allowing some of those buckets of money maybe to potentially grow a little bit larger, you know, so you're, you're gaining some momentum because You've got a great savings and you, you've you got a great uh, monthly savings amount that you're aiming to. So unfortunately, there's no super fast way to save this money other than just saving everything you can and being as resourceful as you possibly can. But I think you're off to an awesome start. Mike, Mike and Becca, you guys are off to an awesome start as well. And hopefully within five years, all of you will actually be homeowners. I think that would be awesome. So the podcast episode today, I am 
super excited about sharing this conversation with you because it's just a real conversation about life and someone taking an unfortunate incident in their life and turning it into something super magical, which I don't know about you, but I love these stories. I love feeling inspired that sometimes taking risks or sometimes something that looks horrible can turn into something that you just never, ever expected. So as a survivor of unemployment during the 2008 financial crisis, which was a bad time for almost everyone, Chris decided to take a risk and he founded something called Laid Off Camp, which I just love that name, right? It was a movement that empowered the unemployment during the 2008 financial crisis to learn new skills for the evolving job market. Such a great mission, I think. But you know, from that one step that he took after unemployment, because he had choices, you know, he could either sat and kind of wallowed in being unemployed, or he could take a risk. And, you know, what's the worst that could happen when you take a risk? It doesn't work out. Well, he's unemployed anyway. So I mean, to me, it's just not that big of a risk. But from that one step into the unknown, Chris created a career just like full of successful startups which has led him to his current venture, Grove, which, I love this, is the first affordable and comprehensive financial planning service empowering today's generation to plan for their future with informed and actionable financial advice. So there's not a lot of competition out there, which I think is amazing because I don't know if you're familiar with a company called LearnVest. I've actually watched them for a few years, hoping they would get right what I really feel is missing with financial planning, but they got bought and I just, I haven't been impressed, but I'm a fan of what Chris is creating at Grove because I think there needs to be some sort of financial planning that is not, of course, affordable is my biggest priority, right? It needs to be affordable for everyone that wants to figure out how to achieve these goals And traditional financial planning is just not going to meet their needs. There has to be something. There has to be some solution. And, you know, financial planning already is not like a super sexy topic. You know, I, I, um, I think talking about money is like, it's a tough, it's a tough topic. You know, there's a lot of emotion involved, but, you know, I think why Grove is so important and why Chris taking this leap of faith of something that he's really passionate about matters is because he says that the research shows that 85% of adults feel financial anxiety. Of course, right? I think we would all like raise our hand like, yes, that's me. However, when he looked at the options people had, it was clear why only 32% of them are getting financial advice. It's because in the US today, most investment advisors, they focus on people who already have millions of dollars or they charge rates that are up to $5,000 that are just too expensive for most families to afford. And so he said, you know what, something needs to change. And I really think it was his his career of being an entrepreneur after getting laid off that has made this trajectory for him. But before we talk about that, I think it's really encouraging, again, to listen to somebody that's taken this unemployment, getting laid off, has turned it into a sustainable and, dare I say, potentially more rewarding career. You know, we're we're way past 2008, which is fantastic. 
but we're still in this climate where so many people have great skills and are getting laid off and then can't get a job. I have so many friends that are brilliant that got laid off from companies, high level jobs, and they cannot find another job. So what do you do? I mean, you just, you have to be willing to take some risks, recalculate. And, you know, this is why I'm a fan of doing podcasts about saving and investing and all those things when you can, because when you have that good job, you can, you can save, you can stash away money, you know, you can make these smart money moves. So then when you have something come along in life, some curveball, you have some choices, you know, Chris was very good at saving money. So when he got laid off, like he had some cash he could pull from. And, you know, I think while your story might not end up like Chris's, I'm hoping that he can inspire you to not only, you know, put some thought into the value of affordable financial planning to achieve your goals, which being a certified financial planner myself, I'm a big fan of, but also to push yourself, I think more importantly, beyond what you think is capable. You know, it's the unknown for sure, but where it may lead you is often far beyond what you can imagine in a good way. And that is something that I have experienced personally over and over and over and over again in my career. And P.S., let me just tell you, Chris is a ninja at how you can save money without sacrificing your lifestyle, which I think is totally the name of the game. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 
50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. I've been trying HelloFresh recently and I have no idea why I've waited so long. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you just cook, eat, and enjoy. And what I love is there are three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family. So something for everyone. And since we're all so busy, we won't spend all night in the kitchen because recipes only take about 30 minutes and you can choose your delivery day for when it works best for your busy schedule. Thank you, HelloFresh. And you can try things you never think to cook on your own and enjoy eating outside of your comfort zone, which I think is so super fun. We tried the crispy cheddar Frico cheeseburgers with broccoli the other night, and seriously, it was one of the best burgers I've ever had, and I love burgers. It was so easy to prepare, too. 
The best part? HelloFresh makes it easy to cook delicious balanced dinners for less than $10 a meal. That's great for your budget. But don't take my word for it. Try yourself and get $30 off your first week of HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com and enter code MYMONEY30. That's HelloFresh.com, code MYMONEY30. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you. If you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new, Audible has got an audiobook for you. You know, Oprah, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, they all say that reading at least two books a month is their secret to success. I'm just saying. Audible helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Whether it's on your phone or through your car, you can listen to thousands of books while doing almost anything, which is a huge time saver. Audible's content includes a big selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and so much more. Basically, anything you're looking for. One of my favorites on Audible is a book called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear by Elizabeth Gilbert. It is a book I can listen to over and over and over again to get my spark back. And I've got great news for you. Audible is offering listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash mymoney or text mymoney to 500-500 and browse Audible's selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Again, just go to audible.com slash mymoney or text mymoney to 500-500. So, Chris, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I think there are so many awesome things that we can talk about, but I really want to go back to the financial crisis of 2008. I know that hit you really hard. Uh, Unemployment, like so many people were dealing with, and I really want to start there. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, that time in your life, maybe any money lessons you learned and what ultimately led to the journey to create laid off camp? Sure. So I was working in New York and I had convinced my employer uh, to move me to San Francisco uh, unbeknownst that I moved to San Francisco and two weeks later, I think, or three weeks later got laid off. Um, my now wife, who is then a uh, girlfriend, were, you know, fortunate that before in those three weeks she had found a job. So, uh, we weren't down to zero incomes, but it was, <laughs> it was pretty close. Touch and uh, go, right? Yes. And so when I first got laid off, it was a bit of a stressful experience, uh, especially at a company. It was a management consulting firm that like does this for other companies. They were very strategic about it. So it was like you walk in, you meet someone and you're done and you're gone and there's no kind of time to figure out what's going on. And it was at the end of November, which is, you know, the no one's out there like really trying to hire someone right before the <laughs> holidays. And I was like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm, I'm not going to get a job before, you know, Christmas holiday. So what should I what should I do? And everyone else is in this situation. And um, I don't know what it was that inspired me. Uh, I'd been to an event called Bar Camp, which is kind of this unconference uh, in the technology world. And it just it just came to me that maybe there are a lot of other people that are in my situation that could benefit from spending time with each other and talking, whether it's more therapy or more learning. And I put up this website for something called Laid Off Camp. I wasn't really sure what it would be. The idea was an unconference uh, where people could come together, learn from each other and share ideas. And it was one of those right place, right time, you know, got picked up by the San Francisco Chronicle. And it kind of became my full-time job for about six months, uh, with the exception of the fact that it didn't pay anything. Uh, so it was my (laughs) full time thing. Small exception there. (laughs) Um, but I, I continued to chase it. We ended up doing about 20 laid off camps around the country. 
the model was very open sourced, um, which meant I put up everything I did for the one in San Francisco, the emails I sent for sponsors, the logo I used and, and inspired other people in other cities to take all of it and run in their city. So it wasn't as much work for me uh, to run the other cities as it was to do the first one in San Francisco. But kind of one of the, the key lessons I learned was if you put yourself out there and you know you open yourself up to lots of things, stuff just sometimes happens. And so one of our sponsors ended up hiring me to put on other events. Um, another company that I'd met through the process ended up hiring me to help them build financial models because I'd done that at a previous job. And by just putting myself out there, uh, you know, being open to serendipity, I feel like that's been like my theme of my life, both professionally and personally. And, you know, in that event of late off camp, I also learned a ton from people talking about how to turn your work into freelance work, which is what made it possible for me to, you know, just basically understand that, oh, I could actually make money without having a job. Like I could just do multiple jobs at once for different people. Um, and that turned into how I kind of paid the bills for the next year. Yeah. And I think that's so, uh, so awesome because, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, even even today, there's a lot of people getting laid off from big companies. You know, I have friends who have made very good salaries and getting laid off and, and having really, really tough time finding a new job, you know, that is at least even remotely comparable to what they had before. And I think, you know, uh, it's really easy when you're unemployed to get in that frame of mind of, you know, doom and gloom and everything's terrible. But you know, I think that's really where like knowing your skills and knowing your value come in because you can, you know, pull yourself up. You can create something out of nothing. Yeah. And and in environments, you know, where the market crashes and people are trying to cut costs, you know, they don't always cut what they need to do as a company as much as they might need to cut costs. So I've actually found that, you know, freelance work sometimes goes up because you, know, you maybe you're not willing to hire a lot of people, but you still have stuff to do. So there are certainly opportunities and just figuring out how to do them and how to make sense of it um, is super valuable. So while there might not be a laid off camp right now, you know, there's probably more resources online than there were 10 years ago about how to turn your skills into freelance work, how to find contract work, how to, um, you know, start a company, how to be more entrepreneurial. There, there was stuff, you know, 10 years ago, but it wasn't, wasn't certainly as much as there is now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what do you think are... Um, some lessons or some tips or some strategies that you learned from, you know, laid off camp or a lot of your other entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, you know, what advice would you offer to those listeners on the podcast that, you know, really want to start their own business or start something like laid off camp, but just have no idea how to do it? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say two things. One, you don't need to have an idea how to do it. Uh, when I started laid off camp, I'd never really started a company. I just put up a website. I started talking about it. Um, and then I just kind of kept talking about it. Someone heard about it and shared it and it kind of went, I would say when people are trying to decide if they can do something, uh, when you talk to people, everyone seems to give you a good reason why you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> and I, I tend to tell people if someone can convince you, you shouldn't do it, then maybe you shouldn't. But if, after talking to people, you're still wanting to do it. Sometimes you just have to do it. Uh, and, and someone told me once, uh, you know, the easiest way to write a, an essay is to write a word. And so if you're thinking about, man, I'm, I don't know if I want to start be, being a freelance writer, uh, you know, go find out where you need to start posting to 
you know, a job or a services board online where you might post your, your services for hire and just write, c- commit to open it up, pull up the application, write a word. And if you can commit to doing like just step one, that's usually the hardest step, but it, you know, mentally the hardest step, but it's like physically, like it's actually sometimes the easiest step. Writing the entire thing is hard, but it's the mental barrier. So if you're thinking about starting a company, come up with a name, um, figure out who you might want to do it with, uh, build a model for how the business might work. Just do one of the pieces. Don't feel like you have to do it all. Uh, and sometimes that momentum just starts really snowballing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you know, if I look back to the first laid off camp, it was like three months later after we started, you know, we had the first event and we had the Wall Street Journal and we had NPR and we had CBS and they were all there. And it was like, this is just something that one day when I was super depressed after getting laid <laughs> off, I put up a website about and told a few friends and I didn't have any crazy expectations. I didn't make any money out of it. And it might have been one of the most influential things in my entire professional career. And so I wouldn't hold back on, you know, oh, well, I'm not going to make money, so I shouldn't do it. Oh, you know, I don't know if it's the most glamorous thing to be known as the person who got laid off, so I wouldn't do it. Uh, I would just kind of put yourself out there and be willing to take more risks and, and be comfortable with uncertainty. Yeah. So what, what happened after laid off camp? Where did that take you? So I ended up having three different freelance jobs doing three totally different things. One was event planning, one was building a model, and one was kind of doing business development for a startup. And I I did that for about a year and had already been in this kind of, I was laid off frugality mode. So I had been, if, you know, if you live anywhere near a city, I just went to every event I could that had free lunch or free dinner. (laughs) Uh, You know, like I, I was totally willing to do anything, uh, to get by on less. When my wife and I would go visit my family, we would try to rent out our apartment or, um, you know, I wish that back then I could have signed up for Lyft and driven for Lyft because I absolutely would have. Um, so I just found every way to cut costs, to be super frugal, and that never changed. So once I started making money as a freelancer, I just kept living like that because I was that, that was kind of this inspiration of how you can start saving money. It was I cut all costs, and then when I made money, I didn't rise them. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges is people get a raise and then they think they have more money to spend and it makes it really hard to save if you kind of continue down that path forever. But I was so, I guess, burned by the unemployment that I was like, I can't spend this money. So uh, we were able for about a year to really save a lot because we were used to living on one income in San Francisco, which it turns out is not <laughs> cheapest city in the country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you could have chosen probably somewhere a lot more, um, you know, feasible to make the money stretch. You know, San Francisco is, is cra- it's even more expensive than Los Angeles for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's also another, you know, lesson. It was important that my wife and I had the foresight to set up an emergency fund so that, you know, we weren't, you know, it wasn't shock for the first, you know, right away, we were able to, you know, live while we adjusted our lifestyle. But yeah. Yeah. And so you talk about like this, this frugality, and I know that you're really passionate about something that I'm passionate about as well of, of helping people save money without having to totally sacrifice their lifestyle. I mean, you know, a lot of times you have to sacrifice a little bit of it, or you can't have the ideal, you know, vision of it. But you know, there needs to be this balance when we talk about being smart with your money that, you know, you also can live life. You know, how in, in your experience, uh, how are you able to achieve this? And, and what do you tell people about this, this concept? 
Yeah. So I'd say if I, if I look across the last, I don't know, five, 10 years of my life at things that I enjoy doing and ways that I've been able to do it for less, um, there's like almost an unlimited number of examples, but you know, I'm actually a big fan of the public library. Um, and now the public libraries all let you check out like digital books. So if my wife were to go on a trip, you know, we could go and buy the Lonely Planet guide, or you can actually just check it out digitally from the library and have access to it. Uh, you know, if you like going to the movies, uh, there's a startup that recently launched, or maybe it's even a bigger company called Movie Pass, and it's like $10 a month and you can get unlimited movie tickets. And um, so it's really like the theme every time is make sure there's not a cheaper way to do the thing you're already doing. And if you can't find that, if there's really no other way, then you could really consider, um, you know, having to cut things. But if you're in a really tight spot, I know I would email almost every service that I was trying to, I was interested in when I was unemployed and be like, hey, I'm starting this thing. I'm unemployed. Like, is there any <laughs> chance you have a special rate for people who've gotten laid <laughs> off? And oftentimes, you know, people are very generous in those circumstances, like they would be with a student rate. Um, I think the biggest one for me, my wife and I really like to travel. And so I've kind of gone as far down the rabbit hole as you can go when it comes to miles and points and, and collecting things to, that make travel free because that, that was kind of one of our biggest leisure expenses. And so by really optimizing every dollar I spend to maximize the number of points I have, uh, it, it allows us to be able to take vacations, which can be expensive for a lot less. Yeah. Tell us some of your favorite uh, you know, tips and tricks that you have for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say step one for anyone. Uh, well, okay, so step zero would be if you already have a lot of credit card debt and you're really struggling with that, what you probably don't need is another credit card. So I would say if you're in that circumstance, maybe think about talking to someone about consolidating debt to debt pay down strategy before. I gotta, I have to give that caveat. But if I were thinking about how to maximize uh, you know, my ability to travel, I'd say there are kind of two goals. One is to evaluate how you spend money and one is to evaluate what you want. So if I think about how you spend money, you know, whether it's using a free budgeting tool online or whether it's just looking at your spending summaries from your credit cards, uh, I would look and say, oh, where, what categories am I spending money in? Am I spending most of it on food, on dining, on travel, on shopping? And that kind of helps you figure out where it makes the most sense to try to leverage different kind of credit card rewards. And the second is what you want to do. If you really like, you know, driving and staying in local places, you know, let's say you live in California and you like driving up and down the coast and staying in hotels, you know, maybe you want to optimize for hotel points. If you really like traveling internationally, then and but you always travel to places like Thailand or Vietnam where, you know, you can actually stay places for five, 10, 15 dollars a night, but the flights are thousands of dollars. You might want to travel for optimize for airline miles. Um, and so if you figured out what you want to optimize for and you figured out how you spend money, then you can go look and find out you know, what the best reward options are. For example, if you spend all your money on travel and dining, uh, you know, the Chase Sapphire Reserve card gives you 3x points there. And you know, I, you know, I've written an article on why I think it's the best travel rewards card. So I could go really deep. But you know, as an example, to come to that conclusion, it would be, I know that I spent a lot of money on travel and dining, so I'm going to really be able to get the benefit of 3x points versus exactly. there's a, I think there's an Amex card that'll give you 6% cash back on groceries. If you, know, you have a family with four kids and you're buying lots and lots of groceries and that's all you're spending, you know, having a card that gives you a bonus for 
you know, how much money you spend on eating out isn't really going to do you a lot of good. Yeah. And, and, you know, the beauty, I mean, I've been using points to travel for, I can't even remember how many years. And, you know, I, I think what's, what's shocking to a lot of people is, you know, we live in such a negative credit card society, which yes, credit card debt is out of control. Um, you know, it, 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 we're not teaching people how to effectively pay off that debt and to manage their credit card effectively. But if you can really treat your debit or your credit card like a debit card where you're paying that off in full every month, these rewards are it, it's it's worth cash to you. I mean, it is a real value to you. Have you guys found that as well? Yeah, I mean, I think I've ca- I think I've calculated that if I in years where I've really optimized hard and I'll say like our honeymoon was one of those years, uh, I think I've found that we can earn about effectively 10% cash back on all our purchases because we're using the miles in the most efficient way. We're using the right cards. And if you can end up getting 10% cash back on everything you spend, like that's a real amount of money. Um, That's not, you know, $10. Yeah. And it's on stuff you would already be buying. I mean, that's the thing. You're not going out and buying, you know, 10 new TVs just to get this reward. It's stuff that you're already doing every single month. And there's a great, uh, you know, there's probably dozens of sites that do this, but I love Ebates, which Mm -hmm. if you install their browser extension, I'll be like going to a website to buy something and be like, hey, by the way, if you click this button, we'll refresh, load through our program, you'll pay the same, but you'll get 3% cash back. And so I use that all the time. And, you know, every month I get or every two months I get some PayPal transaction from Ebates. It's like, hey, here's money that you're getting for just having bought the stuff you were already going to buy. It's beautiful. You know, I, I always love, I use Ebates too. I love when I, even when it's a small amount of money, it's like, man, someone just gave me, you know, 10 bucks or whatever it is. That doesn't, doesn't happen very often. No. So before we go forward in uh, talking about Grove and, and where you're at now, I like to go backwards a little bit, kind of way back and talk about, you know, money habits, money personality, the way you think, act and feel about money. I, you know, it's, it's, um, it really is formed when you're a child, you know, for good or for bad. Take us back to, you know, kind of young Chris as, as dealing with money, uh, you know, financial planning, all of these topics, entrepreneurship, has this always been ingrained in you? Or is this something that's, you know, developed over time? Yeah. So my dad has been an entrepreneur. I think my mom's been an entrepreneur, none in like, they both started, you know, some massive company, but they both been owned a company, done their own work. And so I definitely think that kind of came in the blood. Uh, my grandparents, um, I think are who instilled a lot of the travel hacking in me. They, once they retired in their early fifties, they started a tour company where they, they moved super early into a retirement community and they started a company where they would organize trips for all the other people in the retirement community. And they traveled all over the world, uh, taking all of these other people from their retirement community with them for free. That uh, is because awesome. Because they organized it. And I think I calculated that they went to like 50 some odd countries in their lives uh, and, and paid for almost none of it. Wow. That is so, impressive. Can we give grandma and grandpa a round of applause? I mean, that is awesome. Yeah. So I, I kind of, you know, they'd had this entrepreneurial journey that was very much related to frugality. My grandfather was like one of the most frugal people uh, I'd ever heard stories about. 
um, he would save every coupon. Uh, every my other grandfather would clip uh, ev- or enter every contest, <laughs> like every contest in every magazine. He would enter all of them, and he would win dog food for a dog that he didn't even have. And then, like he would, it just you know, there would be things like that that would happen. And so, I guess I grew up surrounded by. Um, especially my grandparents, people that were entering contests, saving everything, being extremely frugal. The amount of frozen food my grandparents had got to a point that sometimes made us go in the other direction where you're like, ah, you know, this is like 15 years old and you put it in a suitcase and you flew it to Mexico for a family vacation so you didn't have to buy groceries (laughs) in Mexico. Um, So I was definitely surrounded by that as a child. Um, And then you know, I think I ended up going to a high school where most of the people around me had more money than I did. And, you know, that that led me to always find efficient ways to do things, whether it was selling T-shirts uh, for a big football game at our high school uh, or whether it was like really figuring out the bus system uh, to get around the Virginia suburbs we were in because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't have a car yet. So I was spending some people were like, oh, let's take a taxi. I was like, mm, I'm going to figure out the bus. <laughs> Yeah, the bus sounds good. I can afford the bus. That's awesome. I love that. You know, I think it's always really cool when, you know, we can find those patterns that either were there from our childhood or, you know, that we that we saw from our parents or our grandparents or relatives and, you know, maybe how that shaped who we are. I think those that's always like a really interesting discussion to talk about. And we don't think about that a lot. You know, we kind of think of ourselves in like in this bubble and isolation, but it it really has all of those experiences I have found, you know, really do shape your own messaging. And I, I think it's really cool because you get to bring that all of that along with you. Exactly. Yeah. I think it, it was a fun project when one of my grandfathers passed away. Uh, I wrote something up for to read at the the ser- or the service, and it was really fun to really dig into uh, ha- the relationship that I had that created who I was, and and that whole project kind of has made this conversation easier because before that I'd never really put all the pieces together, and so it was really fun to try to put all those pieces together and try to figure out how I became who I am today. Yeah, so. You are on this whole journey. It's led you to Grove, a current company where you're founder and CEO. And it is just a rocking company. You got so much going on. And it's got a really cool mission. I mean, your mission is to be the first affordable and comprehensive financial planning service. One of my favorite words, empowering today's generation to plan for their future with informed and actionable financial advice. I I love that. I mean, that is just everything that I am about this podcast and everything I do. But I want to hear more about this. Tell us about Grove. Tell us about, you know, how this started and and what makes you passionate about this. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, if if all of the anecdotes haven't come together to to exude my excitement for personal finance and and optimization, you know, that's the passion is that like this is just what I live to do. Um, you know, I, I had a company about five years ago that we ended up selling to Google and I spent about four years at Google, um, investing in startups on behalf of Google at, uh, the venture capital arm, uh, Google ventures. And in that process, I kind of saw so much about what makes companies work, what makes companies don't work. And the, the big theme that I ended up investing, you know, behind was really finding founders who were working on what they were really passionate about. And so when I thought about what to do next, it just seemed like there was only one industry that I could spend time on, and it was innovating in some way, shape, or form around financial services. 
And when I talked to everyone in, you know, our generation, right, you know, whether you were just graduating college or, you know, just had your first child, uh, it seemed like no one had a clue whether they were on track for what they cared about in life. And, you know, if you ask around, no one seemed to have a financial advisor and I was so confused. I love doing all this myself, but no one else did, but they weren't getting any help. Uh, and I asked people why, and then I tried to look for financial advisors and I realized there are a few financial advisors who, uh, you know, are within reach, but the vast majority of financial advisors have maybe a million dollar minimum. And, you know, most of my friends don't have a million dollars. So, the, you know, those are out of the question. There are a bunch of independent kind of CFPs, but the average cost to even get a financial plan in the U.S. today is over $2,500. So it's a really expensive endeavor. And it just seemed like that was broken and there needed to be a way that someone would have access to work with a professional who would, you know, have a fiduciary obligation to act in their best interest and could help them map out their life and their goals and figure out if they were on track and give really actionable, you know, steps and, and guidance on how they could get there. And they should be able to do it affordably. And it seemed like the reason they couldn't was because every financial advisor I talked to was using software that looked like it had been made a decade ago. <laughs> and right on. <laughs> the process was so manual. People would be bringing in their shoebox of financial s documents to hand to someone who would type things up and print out something and put it in a binder. And you'd have to do it between nine and five on a weekday in an office downtown. And it didn't make any sense. And it seemed like if I could use the, the background I'd had uh, from building a company in the software space and make this entire process efficient, you could keep having the value of working with a CFP uh, to, to really understand someone's situation, but leverage that technology to make the whole thing so much more efficient that it could get to a price point that was really accessible to people. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about like, you know, if somebody's interested in using a Grove, you know, what would their, what would their process be? What would that look like for them? Yeah. So step one, um, you know, you can come to our website and, uh, you know, I'll set this up. So hellogrove.com slash millennial money. You can kind of do one of two things there. Uh, you could take a free checkup. Uh, it's a financial checkup we built to kind of give people just a first step at getting some advice. Uh, and then the next step, or you could skip right past it and go straight to do an intro session with one of our CFPs. It's a free intro session. You can sign up uh, right at that URL. And step one is to really learn about the service, us to make sure we can answer questions to make sure we're a good fit. The last thing we want to do is, you know, entice someone to sign up for a service that isn't what they need for their point in time in life. So we spend a little bit of time up front making sure you understand who we are. And, you know, we try to make sure that we're, we're delivering something that, that is right for every one of our clients. Um, after that process, uh, you know, step one is to fill out a profile after you sign up. So caveat, it's, it's not a free service, right? We, we have real CFPs that you can work with. We don't charge the $2,500 that most of the market charges uh, right now, but uh, we are charging $900 a year. But right now, uh, by the time this comes out, I think we'll still be offering our kind of early customer pricing of uh, a $300 discount down to $600 a year. And so once you, once you sign up, 
the first step is to fill out a profile, share some information about yourself, sync your accounts so you don't need to bring that shoebox to any meetings, and then you schedule a call and talk with one of our CFPs about your situation, your goals, your priorities, and we really make sure that we understand your unique self, and we use that to build a personalized plan that is written in real English, that is designed by a team of people that have a goal of making this stuff comprehensible, and then we leave you with really specific actions on how to get on track. Make sure to help you execute on these actions. We make sure to remind you when things are important. Um, we're always here if something comes up. Because we you know, have an insight into your accounts, we're, we're constantly thinking about ways that we could proactively help and remind you about things to, when things change or th opportunities that we find for you. Uh, and we really stay in touch. And then every year we make sure, like you would with your primary care physician, we do an annual checkup. We make sure that if anything else has changed that we missed, we update your plan and we make sure you're on track for the next year. This sounds like, you know, something that is is definitely needed because I think, you know, everybody could use the advice from a CFP, whether you're just starting out, you're just out of college, you're trying to figure out how to deal with your student loans or, you know, you're mid-career and you're trying to figure out how to up-level everything. And you know, even if you even if you do have twenty five hundred dollars to spend, it, it's a lot of money. You know, it's a big chunk of change. And so, you know, I, I think what I love about Grove is you you've make it accessible for anyone to be able to afford to get this really great advice that's gonna help them achieve whatever goal they have. Yeah. I mean, it is not I mean, you know this. It's not an easy process to map out the life you wanna live against the cash flows that will be involved, you know, for every year for the rest of your life, and then mash that up against, you know, tons of different market situations and how the market might perform or might not, and come to an answer of, am I on track? Uh, and so, you know, because it's tough, people don't do it. And so I think it's really important. And I think it's hard. And, and, it, you know, we're playing our part in trying to make it easier. Yeah, that's so great. So one last question before we leave the podcast. If you had one piece of advice that you could offer listeners, uh, maybe a smart money move or maybe uh, something that you learned on your career journey, what would that be? I mean, I think I'll give, I'll give one, on e one of each. So the one uh, you know, kind of general advice is just be open to anything and get, make yourself be uncomfortable because putting myself out there as the person who got laid off, which has a stigma, you know, opened up thousands of doors, personally traveling, being willing to go have dinner at a random person's house that we met in a foreign country has led to some of the best relationships. And so really just being open to anything has, has, you know, paved all the paths on the money, the money side. I have so many, I would say, <laughs> I said already, you know, don't level up your spending just because you level up your income. Uh, the other one would be, you know, we talked about the credit cards, like don't be spending money on a debit card if, you know, a credit card's an option because you're often getting free money. I guess the other big one would be if you have your money in a savings account and it's sitting at a regular bank like Chase or Bank of America, chances are it's probably not earning, you know, anywhere close to the amount of interest you might get at a high yield savings account. And so, you know, on average, I think it's somewhere between 20 and even up to a hundred times more interest on your savings accounts. If you, if you find the right on institution online. So I would say find a high yield savings account for, for your cash savings and, and not leaving it at your kind of traditional brick and mortar branch. 
Yeah, I'm giving you a high five through the through the airwaves right now for that one. That is uh, definitely something I talk about a lot. And it's so important because more money is more money at the end of the day. Exactly. Chris, this has been an awesome discussion. Uh, tell listeners, again, what that website link is where they can go and find out more about Grove. Yeah, so if you go to hellogrove.com slash millennial money, you can get started with a free checkup and uh, you can schedule an intro session with one of our CFPs. So your homework today is not let the bad stuff that's happened to you in your career define you, but to let them propel you into a future, potentially a future that you cannot even dream of. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. A big shout out to our sponsors, HelloFresh and Audible. You can head to the show notes to find links for all those goodies. And as always, if you love this podcast, do me a favor, share it with your friends, shout it out on social media, and head on over to the link in the show notes to leave us a five-star review. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times. But your mind is on the future, too, and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance, so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value.